Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia. Well, good afternoon, and thank you for joining me today. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And again, I'm so glad that you're with me here today. And we are talking again about relationships. And I really like this show today because it is going to be seven solutions that can save a relationship. So I have a lot of information. So we're going to, we might go a little bit fast. So I want to encourage all of you, if you are just listening right now and you can't hear the entire show this hour, you can always go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com and you can download that as a podcast or you can listen to it right on your computer. You can also go to iTunes. You can download it from there. If you can't find me, you can always go here to the radio station at Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ and that will direct you to my website. So again, I'm so glad you joined me today. And this is Solutions That Can Save a Relationship because you know when we have enduring relationships, we kind of go through peaks and valleys, and sometimes we get a really long valley, and it helps to find ways out of that valley. So I want to start with this really cool verse I found, and I really like, this is from the Message Bible, and it's, I, haven't, I haven't read it in the Message Bible and seen it in this manner, and this is Philippians 1.9, and it says, so this is my prayer, that you love with flourish, and that you will not only love much, but love well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not just sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life Jesus would be proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. So that's all the way through to verse 11, actually. But I love this idea where it says, learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent. So this is, this is amazing because this is tough to do. We get really big feelings with our most primary relationships. And so it's rare that a couple doesn't run into a few bumps in the road. And if you recognize ahead of time what relationship problems might be, you'll have a much better chance of getting past them. And so if you're not in a bad place in your relationship, that's awesome. These are some things to really be thinking of to stay out of those bad places. If you're in kind of a bad place as you're listening to the show, these will be some things to help you get out of it and stay out of it. So even though every relationship has its ups and downs, I want you to know that successful couples have learned how to manage the bumps and keep their love life going. And we have to hang in there. We have to tackle problems, and we have to learn how to work through the complex issues of everyday life. And many of us do this by self-help books or articles, attending seminars. Sometimes we go to counseling. Sometimes we observe other successful couples, or sometimes it's just simply trial and error. We find out what works, and we keep using it, and we don't do what doesn't work, which is intelligence. So 
many times with couples, we're so in love in the beginning, and then life intervenes, and the stresses accumulate, and it's like a cascading effect. It's like a domino effect. So we're going to talk about first, the first solution is always to deal with communication. Because if I don't have good communication, all the other issues that we're going to talk about today are going to be really tough to maneuver through. So what are some keys to good communication? What does the Bible tell us? Well, I like this one. It says, what we say and how we listen to others is important to God. Because he warns us that death and life are in the power of the tongue and that we must give account of every idle word we speak. I mean, that's pretty daunting. So thankfully, we can always ask for forgiveness and repent, and we can continue to learn and change and grow. But those, those are verses are um, Proverbs eighteen twenty one and Matthew twelve thirty six that talks about the power of the tongue and that we have to give an account for every idle word. And an idle word doesn't mean it's just said in passing. An idle word really is talking about something that is extremely unnecessary to have said, that takes up a whole bunch of space and doesn't create or promote anything positive. So when we look at James 1.19, it says, My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. So many of the communication pitfalls that wreck relationships come from violating these three keys. So being swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And so we tend to be slow to listen, quick to speak our minds, and then in the resulting confusion and selfishness, we're quick to get our feelings hurt and to get angry and to hold resentments, to be insulted, uh, to be fragile in our ego, and then to jump back with defensiveness and attack. So we're going to focus on these first two points that James made. We're going to be swift to hear. We're going to be slow to speak. And why swift to hear? Swift to hear because what happens if we're quick to speak? Well, we have Proverbs 18, 13. It says, he, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. And how many times have, have you recognized that you've jumped in, you've intervened, only to find out that when the person finished their sentence, you might have been more in agreement with what they said, but you were so quick to jump to conclusions. And, and the more that we know someone, the longer we know them, the more we think we know everything they're thinking and going to say. So we don't give them a chance to actually just speak their mind or speak their heart. And one of the things that you'll find is is the more you get to know someone, you may know what they're going to say. You may really know in a lot of times what they think. But humans need to talk. They need to express themselves. So even if I know where it's going, it is still imperative that I slow myself down, I relax, and I let the person express themselves. So, you know, we've spent years learning how to read and write, how to speak, but what about listening? We have not trained ourselves or educated ourselves many times or disciplined ourselves on how to listen and hearing. So we have to overcome this lack of training by focusing on the other person and forcing ourselves to try to understand his or her viewpoint before sharing our own. This is really tough when we're hearing information that's uncomfortable or painful, scary, that we really have to slow the process down. And you know, on these shows, we talk a lot about the whole way our brain works and making sure that we stay out of the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight, flight, or freeze. We stay in the prefrontal lobe 
which is that last part of our brain that develops is the highest functioning part of our brain. And that we stay in the adult part of our brain, we slow things down, and we say to ourselves, I really can listen to this, I can really hear this, and I will have time to speak. So we need to be pacing the relationship. So in Proverbs 18.2, I like this. It says, a fool has no delight in understanding, only in expressing his own heart. I don't want to be foolish. I know that I can be, especially if things get, get, start to escalate or, or get amplified or um, it's more provocative what I'm hearing. My tendency is, is to think I understand and want to hurry and express myself. So what's the mindset that we must avoid in order to truly understand another? And that's this, this idea that we already know what they're thinking, what they're going to say. And we've already built a case to defend ourselves. So we all want to, and we're all taught to express ourselves. But when our desire for self-expression keeps us from trying to really understand the other person, now we're being foolish and now we're being selfish. So this is the opposite of the attitude the Apostle Paul encouraged. In Philippians chapter 2, I think this is verse 3 and 4, he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. So let me give you some tips for improving listening. First of all, you smile and look at the other person in the eye naturally. You don't stare them down. So you have a relaxed look on your face. You really relax your body. And this is, this is very powerful because when your brain starts racing and you start to get that sympathetic nervous system and you're, you're starting to really engage and you want to kind of launch... It's hard sometimes to calm ourselves down, but if we really require that our body relaxes and you relax every muscle in your face and in your body and you relax in the seat or you relax in your posture, you'll be amazed at how much that slows down your thinking. So you ask questions to show you're interested. You look for common ground. You try to block out distractions. You don't focus on rehearsing what you're going to say next. And if the person expresses really strong feelings, you try to acknowledge them without being offended or angry yourself. So you really have to practice doing your side. Even if they're breaking all the communication rules, I still need to do my part and do my part well, which means that I need to control myself, relax my body, and show up as a grown-up for those conversations. And you can really understand, and I can really encourage you and, and guarantee that the, that the conversation will go so much better with much less wreckage and damage. So we want to really be quick to hear. We want to be slow to speak. And so I want to take that Psalms 141, verse 3. It says, take control of what I say, O Lord, and keep my lips sealed. So I ask God to help me to keep my mouth shut while I'm listening. And it is tough because I talk a lot and I'm super verbal, very expressive. And I like to express myself. And I have to really practice closing my mouth. And if I can't keep my mouth closed, one of the things that really helps, and I get couples to practice this all the time, I just say, you know what? If you take a breath, you can't talk. So many times when I'm getting all that information in my head that I want to say, I just breathe in. Once I breathe in, it helps me relax. And then I don't talk until I've thought about it. So it's really important 
that we practice these skills when we are working on listening and being very slow to speak. So we're kind of coming up on the end of this segment, and I want to remind you that you can find these on my website, the show at CynthiaHyatt.com, if you're not able to listen to it entirely today. And we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about what it is that we actually should say when we begin to speak. And we're going to talk about this, this verse in Colossians 4, 6. It says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk about communication and how to support the relationships that we have. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and today we are talking about seven solutions to save your relationship. And we are talking about sometimes our relationships get in the valleys. It's wonderful when we're not in the valley, but how do we get out of the valley? But more importantly, how do we stay out of the valley in our relationship? And so in the previous segment, we were talking at length about communication. And if we have good communication in our relationships, we avoid a multitude of problems and hurts and heartaches and misunderstandings. And we have to then do less work on the relationship because the communication is more, we are more adroit at it, more successful at it. And so we, our relationship is more smooth. It, it, it operates much more smoothly. So again, I want to encourage you, if you missed the last uh, segment, the beginning of the show, you can always go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N. T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. And you can listen to the show in its entirety. So we're, not, we're talking now on what we should say. Before, we were talking about the need to listen. So what do we say? What should we say when we are talking? And when we are discussing difficult situations, I want you to think about this verse in Colossians, chapter 4, verse 6. And it says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So that doesn't mean that I'm going to use a bunch of flowery, sweet, nice, kind words, especially if that's being insincere, because that may not be how I feel, frankly. So we want to make sure that if we, we are in a tough conversation, something that's super uncomfortable, really painful, maybe filled with a ton of anger and resentment and hurt and all those explosive feelings, that I have to relax my body, relax my mind, so that I don't speak off the top of my head, as the saying goes. And then I let what I'm saying be filled with grace, seasoned with salt. That means that I'm saying things that are going to encourage fruitfulness, not harm. And that I'm finding out how I ought to answer that person. So I'm thinking and I'm relaxing and I'm telling myself this person is not the enemy. Because I, I frequently tell clients, you know, if your spouse, if, if your, your partner is your enemy, then why am I helping you be with this person if they are truly the enemy? Because feeling like they're the enemy and actually having them be the enemy are very different things. And so I want to make sure that when I'm speaking, I'm saying things that are still edifying. And so I may be qualifying much of what I'm saying with things like, I'm really wanting to give you the benefit of the doubt. I know you wouldn't purposefully hurt me. 
I know your intentions toward me are positive, and I am really upset about this behavior. So I don't do any character assassinations. I use I statements, and I make sure that I'm really encouraging them in who I know they are, even if we're having a really bad moment, because I'm always wanting to preserve and protect the bind, the tie, the commitment that we have. And so what should be my tone? Well, we have this idea that, you know, I I can say things in a sarcastic, caustic, condescending, demeaning manner. Or I can say them in a supportive, helpful, encouraging manner. And I'll tell you the truth. This takes real maturity. Because when we get our feelings hurt, when we think things are, are unstable or insecure, when we feel like we're being misperceived, it is very difficult to keep the structure of the communication healthy. And it takes a lot of practice and a lot of maturity, a lot of patience and a lot of commitment. The one thing I always know will help me is if I get in charge of my body. You have to remember that you're a whole person. It isn't just your head. It isn't just your heart. It's your physicality that is also involved. And when we get too escalated, our body starts to tense up. It gets ready to go for a fight. And when my body is ready to launch, my words are going to sound just like that. So I need to really relax. I need to do a lot of breathing. I need to be very careful about what I let myself think about while that person is talking. And I need to make sure that I'm really working on preserving the dignity of that person and the relationship as well as myself. So let's think, what what, what should we say when we are working on these very difficult communication um, times? Well, Proverbs 15 Verses 1 and 2 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of a fool pours forth foolishness. And I don't know about you, but I have been there. I have said foolish things that I have had to take back. And the thing that you have to understand about words is they kind of go on forever. They go out into the universe and they just keep going. And there's life or death. In words, and we've talked about that on several shows about the power of words and the effect that words have on even the structure of our brain and the way it can even change the structure of our brain by the words that we think on and the words that we use. So we need to be very careful about what we say, how we say it, the tone of it, and whether or not it's supportive. Because remember, Supportive things may be painful to hear, but it's the heart condition. Why am I saying what I'm saying? I need to take responsibility for me. Why am I saying this? Am I saying this to hurt the person? Am I saying this to make my point so that I can get in a competition? Am I in a power struggle with this person? Am I trying to bring up things that maybe I should have talked about in the past that I haven't, and now they're all flooding and coming forth? So I need to to really understand what's going on with me. Am I feeling like they are misperceiving me? Am I feeling like they are attempting to hurt me? Well, if that's the case, those are the things I need to address before I might really address the topic. And many times in, in counseling sessions, one of the things I teach couples is that very thing. I say, you know, once you get to the place where in the relationship, it's now about how you feel about what the person is saying, 
how you feel about how they're acting, we need to then address those things before we actually pick the topic back up. Because if we keep trying to push through the topic, it's going to be tainted with all that hurt, all that anger, all that distrust, all that upset. So we need to constantly, no matter how long it takes, be calming ourselves down and calming each other down so we actually can talk about the topic. So what I want you to think about, we want to speak clearly, we want to avoid jargon and confusing ramblings. And this is really important for women. We have to remind ourselves about gender, that I have to be careful to stick on one topic, and I need to be careful about how much detail I'm using when I'm talking to my husband, when you're talking to boyfriends, brothers, male co-workers, that we have to be careful about that. We have to be respectful in the way that we speak, the tone of our voice, the, how our body language looks. We need to use I statements. So I feel, and then I have to express the feeling about whatever the behavior is. If I can't identify the behavior I'm upset about, you better wait to talk about it. I want to apologize when needed, sincerely. I want to be forgiving. I don't want to interject. I don't want to rush or cut the person off. And I don't talk just to fill up the silence. And I really use positives like expression of appreciation, encouragement, reminding the person of who I know they are, believing the best about the person, reminding myself they are not the enemy. So we are going to go to the next half hour, and I'm hoping that you will join me in the next half hour. If you can't, please go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com, and you can listen to the entire show. So come back and we are going to talk about some problem-solving strategies or solutions to our, our most prized relationships. Well, thank you for joining me again. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And today we are talking about solutions that will save a relationship. And I want you to also listen and realize that these are ways to stay out of relationship problems as well so that we can avoid those, those valleys that occur in our long-term relationships. So we've been talking about the whole idea of communication and how important communication is. So if you missed the first part of the show, I want to remind you again, you can go to uh, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A.com, H-I-E-T-T dot com. And you can also look for me on Facebook, which is Cynthia Hyatt Inc. That's I-N-C for Incorporated. So we're talking about this whole idea of communication. And when we speak softly, kindly, wisely, truthfully with love, we can diffuse negative feelings and really promote and preserve a positive tone in our relationship. So let's talk about some problem-solving strategies. What if we need to talk to somebody? What if we're not... We're just kind of talking to each other in passing, you know, and, and a lot of relationship problems stem from obviously poor communication. And we have this tendency that we're, you know, we're checking our, our, our iPhones, our, you know, our, our smartphones, we're watching a lot of TV, we're flipping through maybe magazines, um, we're, we're talking in passing, we're listening to music while we're talking, and we're doing a whole bunch of things and parenting kids while we're trying to talk about things. So we really want to say, you know what? We need to give time to our relationship. And so we need to make actual appointments. And if you live together, you do this by putting all of the electronics away, the kids to bed, you let voicemail pick up the calls, 
And you really take time. And what I, what I do with couples is I say, you know, I want you to have a date night once a week. And on the date night, you don't talk about issues. And then you have like a business meeting once a week. Some couples do that Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings, that may be Wednesday night. Whatever the time is, that's when you go to talk about all these very particulars of, of, of the, the couple that you, that you are and what your life exists, you know, what, what exists within your life and the things that you need, that you're doing together, that you're doing separately, those things that are kind of business issues. Who's going to pick up so-and-so on Wednesday? You know, who's going to do the dry cleaning? We need to get this bill paid. Whatever that is, how we're addressing other family members, that's the time you really need to talk about these things. And you need to really make the appointment. Because if you don't, You'll have to talk about them on the spot or on the fly, and that can get super stressful. And you can end up having problems that you wouldn't necessarily have if you weren't just taking the time to talk about these things. So if you can't communicate without raising your voices, go to a public area. Go, go sit at the library, in a park, a restaurant. Go somewhere that helps you control yourself. And so set up rules. Things like, we're not going to interrupt we're not going to use accusatory things. We're not going to bring things up from the past as a way to, to harm someone. We're not going to do character assassinations. We're not going to get into circular um, talking where, where we are not ever allowing for a solution. We're going to really be on top of how easily insulted we might, may be or how hurt we're being. We may require that we take timeouts. So what are the rules that you want to set up? And it is difficult when, when things really escalate and somebody says, I need to time out, I need a time out, I need to walk away. And it's hard to not take that personally sometimes and to think, oh, now you're done, so we have to be done. So it's important that we set these up ahead of time so that we both feel like we have some control over what's happening. So we're careful about the body language that we use. So we don't roll our eyes, we don't sit there and doodle, we don't you know, look out the window like we're more interested in something else. Um, that we really want to listen to what the person is saying, even if we don't like what they're saying. And we're very careful about how we respond and that we take time to give a response. And, and like I was saying in the last hour, one of the most helpful things that I have learned is I just take a breath before I speak. If I just breathe in, I can't talk. And it gives me time to slow down and think about what I'm going to say so that I don't say something I'm going to regret. So it's really imperative as we are practicing these relationship rules that help with communication, that we always remind ourselves to take into consideration gender and temperament, that you know maybe we need to be more accepting of the fact that this person needs time to think before they can talk. And so maybe they need to say, you know what, can, I, can you give me 20 minutes and I'm going to come back. I just need to think about this. I need to journal about it. I need to walk around the block for a minute. I need to get a hold of myself. That we're really wanting to work together as a team, even if we're in disagreement, that what we are agreeing on is that we want to come to the same place and that we want to protect the relationship regardless of how big the issue is, that we are protecting the commitment and the love that we have for each other. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me next time, this next hour, as we continue with solutions that will save a relationship.
Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and I'm so glad you joined me. We are talking today about solutions that will save a relationship. So I want to encourage you to visit my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. If you've missed any part of the show, you can listen to it in its entirety on the website. You can also find me on the KPXQ. That's Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ, their website. And if you are looking for a keynote speaker for any of your events, I love to do that. I do lots of speaking and singing around the Valley and actually around the world. So it's very exciting for me to be able to bring information that's appropriate to your group um, that is also helpful and informative and very encouraging. So we are, we are finishing this up with solutions to save a marriage. And let's talk about this one when it comes to sex, how very, very important that one is. And it's really imperative that you recognize this is probably by far the most vulnerable part of any relationship. And there's so many complexities that go into a person's sex life and and that couple's sex life. And one of the things I always want to remind couples is I want to really encourage them to never, ever compare their relationship to any relationship they see in the movies, in books that they hear about, in books that they hear from friends or they hear about from other people, that it's really important to keep that out of your relationship. It has nothing to do with yours because your relationship, it only has to make sense to you. It only has to be okay for you guys. It doesn't have to be explained to anybody else. And it's imperative that we keep that sacred, which means that we are very careful about how much we talk about it with other people because that harms the relationship that we have. It also causes other individuals to then have to compare and contrast whatever's going on with them. So we want to be really careful. It doesn't mean that we don't, but we want to be very careful about how much we talk about that, that we really keep that sacred, and that if we're needing help with it, we get the necessary help that we need. So we have the famous verse in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 5, and I like this in the Message Bible, and this is actually verses 2 through 6, and it says, Certainly, but only within a certain context, it's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. So the marriage med bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. This is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. That's what's very important. What you'll find is that when you're serving each other outside the bedroom, the bedroom is much easier and much nicer. So it's really important that you think about this whole idea of what is our sex life really about. And it really is about mutuality. It really is causing the two to become one. And so we really want to protect it. And we want to be able, as we talked about in the previous half hour, to be able to communicate about it. So when we are communicating about it, when we are practicing all those skills we talked about in the first half hour, it makes it much more possible to have a very successful conversation with our spouse about our sex life and how important it is. Because you have to understand, it, there, there's a lot of reasons God wants us having sex. It brings us closer, but it also has a lot of physical um, benefits. It releases a lot of hormones that that are healing to our body. 
It, it increases our immune system. It, it causes a great hard reset for the brain. And it keeps the chemistry of a couple healthy. And one of the things it really does for men is it causes them to be much gentler and kinder to their wives because that's part of the two becoming one. And when a, when a man feels one with a woman, he has a tendency to treat her better. And when a woman is at one with a man, she has a tendency to give him a lot more grace, a lot more slack because she says, you know, I just know him. I know his heart. I know him. And when we know a man's vulnerabilities, we are much better able to support them in ways that maybe when we just go, oh, I wish he wouldn't act that way, I wish he wouldn't do that, we are better able to really give our husbands to God and say, God, he really is your problem, and I really just want to love him and help him feel loved, feel supported, feel wanted, which gives him courage. So let's think about this next one. What about the relationship problem of money? Well, This is what's very important. You want to be very honest about your current financial situation. If you need to do that in front of people, I would recommend that you find a pastor, um, a lay counselor, a life coach, a therapist, whoever that is, if you can't do it with each other. It's helpful to see financial planners and certified, you know, you know, accountants. But if you have a lot of emotionality when it comes to finances, you probably want to talk to somebody else about it first. Get a handle on the emotions so you can go talk to a financial professional and get the solutions that you need. So you don't approach the the subject in the heat of the battle. You really set aside time that's convenient and not threatening for you both to talk about it. You also acknowledge maybe one partner's a saver, one's a spender. Or maybe you're both spenders. And you're not, and you give, you kind of collude and you give each other permission to be out of control financially. Well, you really just want to say, hey, this is about us. And many times when I talk to couples about any of these issues, I always remind them, you cannot be single and married at the same time. You can't be single and married at the same time. You, you, even though there is a me in us, I need to remind myself that anytime I'm dealing with a relational issue, it's us. I'm just as much a part of it as he is. It's us. And my mind, my fallen nature, wants to tell me all the things that really aren't me, that it's him. And I want, and what that does psychologically, emotionally, is separates the relationship, which makes it that much more difficult to talk about us. So you keep reminding yourself, this is us. So even if I'm not the one that's the spender, I'm still a part of this relationship. So what am I doing in the relationship financially that is not supportive of the relationship? And that may be that I'm too controlling. I'm too fear-based when it comes to money. And maybe I need to address that. So I don't blame the other person. I don't hide income. I don't hide debt. So we really make sure that it's about us. And if I can't do us, I get someone to help us do us. So we really take care about long-term, short-term goals, having individual goals, but the individual goals have to fit within the family goals. So how about let's look at this next relationship problem. Struggle over home chores. So how many times do partners feel like one of them works more than the other? Or maybe the other doesn't take it seriously. So let's look at this. Let's, let's work on being organized and clear about your respective jobs in the home. So let's take time to speak out what is the assumed, what, we, what, what the assumption is. 
about what I think that you should be doing. So we don't have to have those if we all have the same assumptions. But when we start to get hurt feelings, we start to feel like things aren't fair, and we start to get immature in our thinking, then it's imperative that we say, you know what, we need to get a little organized here because I'm getting my feelings hurt, I'm getting frustrated, I'm getting resentments, I'm feeling insulted, and I'm not living at peace in my own home because I'm watching everything you're doing and I'm watching everything you're not doing and I'm watching the way you're doing things. So we want to be open to solutions. If we both hate housework, we may want to like take some money from another part of what, where we spend money and spend it on a cleaning service. We want to get really creative about what works for us. Again, it doesn't have to make sense to anybody else but you. It's you guys. It's your relationship. So it only has to make sense to you. So how about this one? Not making the relationship a priority. And this is a really tough one because the world is constantly wanting to pull us apart. And I have to really focus on making sure absolutely I'm doing my life well, but that my relationship is always a priority. And when, things, when, I, when other things become more of a priority than my relationship, I start to feel it in the relationship. So you start to do things that you used to do when you were dating. You show appreciation. You compliment each other. You contact each other through the day. You show interest in what each other is doing in their lives. You work on being friends again and really being interested in the other, caring about the other, even if the other messed up or did it wrong that you really care about how they feel and how the world is affecting them. And you plan date nights, like we talked about. You schedule time together, just as you would have if you weren't, if you weren't married, if you weren't committed. You would say, you know what, we're not going to just assume that we're going to be together. We're going to take time. Because there's a wonderful thing that happens in the human heart and brain when we anticipate something. And so you want to create events to anticipate, even if it's just... We're going to lay in bed all, all, all Saturday morning until 1 o'clock, even if that's the event you're anticipating. It's a wonderful part of the bonding of a relationship. So we're coming around to the end, so we're going to kind of really work on this whole last thing of conflict. How do we address conflict? And there is going to be conflict. And so first of all, you realize you're not the victim. It's a choice whether you react and how you react. And am I going to respond to this person or am I going to just react all over them and then have to deal with whatever it was that came out? I'm going to be honest with myself because when I'm in the midst of an argument, I'm going to say, are my comments geared toward, toward resolving the conflict or am I trying to pay them back? Am I trying to take them down a notch? Am I trying to show them all the things that they're not doing because they called me out on something that I'm not doing and they were right? And I don't want to accept it. And so I want to divert the conversation and tell them all the things they haven't done that I've never told them about. So now I'm getting competitive. So I want to make sure that my comments aren't blaming, they're not hurtful, and that it really is about us. That the comments that I'm making, if they hurt my spouse, my partner, they will then actually hurt me because it's about us and I'm a part of us. And if my partner, spouse, is hurt, I am hurt as well, even if I don't think that I am, because I'm in the us. I'm in the relationship. So sometimes it helps if I change things up. If I continue to respond in a way 
that brings pain and unhappiness in the past, why would I expect a different result? If I constantly respond to my husband or react to my husband in a certain tone of voice and he then doesn't want to hear me anymore, why would I think that using that tone would work? So part of this is being mature and saying, you know what, I can't just be a child and act however I want to act and say whatever I want to say and just have my emotions all over the place and expect my spouse to be okay with it. And I'm constantly telling clients, big, you know, people with big feelings are really powerful. It's very different when a two-year-old is having a big feeling than when a 42-year-old is having a really big feeling. Very different. Even if it's coming from the same place of hurt and fear, it has a very different effect. So I change things up. How might I do it differently next time? I apologize when I'm wrong. And I'm really realizing again and again that I can only control myself. And that it's kind of like we're on the same street, but I live on one side and he lives on the other. And I need to do my side of the street well. And I need to commit to the Lord that I'm going to do my side well. Even if they're not doing it, I'm doing my side. And if at least one of us is doing it well, that will help us a lot. And so I get rid of all the fairness doctrine. I remind myself I'm not in fifth grade anymore. It's not about fairness. It's about doing the right thing. And it's about me doing the right thing, even if my spouse is not. Because I want to preserve the relationship. And what we find is that our relationships are worth saving. They really are. And we want to really commit to them, love them, honor them, and see them as sacred. So I'm so glad you joined me today. This is Cynthia Hyatt again with Conversations with Cynthia. Please visit my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during this show are given as a way to teach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate or spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay at any time at FaithTalk1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ.